Welcome to Reconciling Grace, a program where church leaders discuss various topics from the Bible. During the discussions, there may or may not always be agreement from every panel member on every point, but there is full agreement on the fact that the way to God the Father is through the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ. This is Pete Becky welcoming you to another episode of Reconciling Grace. This is actually part two of an episode on Preacher's Kids, and as such, we have some Preacher's Kids on our panel today. We also have our regular panel, Vicki Cundiff, here in the studio with me, and remotely we have Mick Wells and Don McDonald. In addition, the Preacher's Kids, Don's daughter, Joy Lyle, my son, Matt Vecchi, and Matt's wife, my daughter-in-law, Sarah Vecchi, who is also a PK, and I'd like to welcome every one of you back. And last time we were in the midst of a great discussion, we just couldn't get it all in as oftentimes happens here. And uh, Mick was talking to me right after that was done saying he wished we could have um, gotten into another issue that was based on something that had been brought up from uh, one of the books that Paul wrote to Timothy. So Mick, what was that about that you were wanting to get into? Yeah, this is concerning how the behavior of a preacher's kid can impact uh, the pastor's uh, livelihood and uh, his uh, calling. This is from 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation, uh, chapter verses 4 and 5, that the uh, overseer or elder, or a.k.a. pastor, must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? So I recognize that... Uh, my behavior could impact my father's calling, his ministry, uh, his livelihood, ability to even support the family. And I think all, all kids growing up, whether they're preacher's kids or not, face a time when they uh, perhaps become rebellious. I've seen preacher's kids over my lifetime, I've seen preacher's kids rebel against uh, what people think of them in the church. Uh, if they've grown up in a legalistic environment, they think they're inferior because they can or can't do the things uh, expected of them. And so I wanted to be mindful when I came to the realization <laughs> that my behavior can impact my dad's ministry. I wanted to be a help to him. And I owe him a lot because I was saved going to an altar in a service conducted by my father when I was five years old. I love him to pieces. Uh, he wasn't perfect, but I wanted to make sure that I didn't do anything that would adversely impact his ministry. So if I could jump in and uh, kind of go a little off what you were saying there, Mick, and uh, also tie into something we talked about in the last episode where uh, you mentioned you seeing rebellious pastor's kids. And that's something that uh, I personally think is kind of a bit of an unfair rap. Um, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it's something that I think there's a lot more that tends to go into it. We talked in the last episode about uh, sacrifices that we make as pastor's kids. Joy, you put it uh, very well when you said that, you know, sacrifices that you weren't asked to make, you know, as pastor's kids, 
we have very often, you know, come second to the church and to, you know, what, whatever else was going on out of necessity, because that was our parents' job and it's not a regular nine to five. Uh, so I've, I've actually had the privilege of being a chaperone on a clergy kids retreat uh, for about the past six years or so. And I've gotten to talk with, you know, a couple hundred pastor's kids uh, in that time. And it is a, a wonderful thing, a very wonderful retreat. Uh, and something that I see come up a lot with these kids is so many of them have the same feeling, the feeling that they've played second for so long. And uh, a lot of times it might be you know, just the acting out, you know, seeking attention from their parents where uh, that comes across as being rebellious because they're really just looking for you know, that recognition and being able to play that part in their parents' lives that they feel like they should be able to play. Uh, but they're afraid to talk to their parents about it because of those expectations that you know other people put on them and they put on themselves for being pastor's kids and they don't want to let their parents down and we hear from the parents of these kids on the other side who are talking about not knowing how to be able to break through and talk with their kids because their kids are going through this rebellious phase and they seem like they just don't want anything to do with the church and they don't want anything to do with them and they have such a difficulty in communicating with one another and with talking with one another. And I don't know how many times we tell them, you just just talk to your parents. You have that open communication because your parents love you. They want to talk to you. Uh, but these kids are, you know, when it comes down to it, so so hurt by these expectations that have been put on them. Uh, and all that people see a lot of times is, oh, you're the rebellious pastor's kid. Yeah, I think that Matt and Mick both said some really, really important things, you know, um, as someone who's a pastor's kid who's been in youth ministry myself and now is a mental health professional who sees pastor's kids as a counselor. Um, I see both of those things all the time. And it's so difficult when um, I talk to pastors about this and their kids, because uh, a lot of times they'll say, well, well, my church doesn't do that. Or like, oh, well, those sacrifices weren't asked to make or, oh, well, um, you know, there's no expectations from the church on my child. And I think a lot of times the expectations are implicit. They're not necessarily voiced. They're not necessarily talked about, but the pastor's kid feels it. And especially pastor's kids who've traveled around a lot, there's always the fear that they're going to mess up. They're going to call for a vote of confidence in the church and their mistake is going to make their family move again. And that's a lot of pressure on a child. And so I really agree with what Matt is saying about open communication. And I would even take it a step further and say honesty. I think honesty is one of the biggest things that helped me stay on the path that I needed to stay on. I knew that when my dad told me something, he was going to be honest and he was going to be truthful and he was going to tell me what I needed to know, but not to the point, once again, having those boundaries, not to the point where it was going to hurt me, but I knew I could trust him. And that went really, really far in my childhood personally. Uh, knowing that I was going to get the honest answer and it wasn't necessarily going to be sugar-coated, but it was going to be true. And so that created a lot of trust. And I, I think when I was listening to all this and where Joy's at with honesty, I always kept in my mind when working with my children that Deuteronomy 6-7 text where they're talking about, you know, teaching. And the Hebrew word impress means that you're taking an imprint of a coin and you're pressing it in and you're leaving a memory. 
And so I was looking over that, that text as impress on them, your children talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. And I thought it was so important when I looked at that text in my life and in my family, that impression was so important. It was important to be honest. It was important to be real. It was important to lay out before them. I don't expect them to be per perfect and neither does the congregation, but yet we have to be honest with where we're at and what we're doing as we're journeying together in Christ. And I especially felt that to do that in the family. You know, Don, I think that it's something you just said. First of all, I think that uh, your your heart probably melted when uh, Joy said what she did about, about you. Um, and, and how you were open and honest with her. And I know that I always tried to be open and honest with my kids as well. <clears throat> One of the things you said about the expectations though, um, not that I disagree with you, but I know that as a pastor, I often felt, and again, maybe it was not um, something that actually was there. Maybe it was my own imagination, but I often felt as though some people in the church had expectations not only for me but for my family yeah i think that can be true but then that brings us to a decision that we need to make so something that i was thinking about as joy was speaking and those expectations that were not voiced so immediately i thought of a situation when my daughter was in her senior year and she was going to she was played volleyball and she was uh, going to play her uh, tournament game, and it landed on a Wednesday evening. And, you know, we were always in church on Wednesday evening and teaching and everything. And uh, I just viewed it as though my husband was hired there, so uh, he needed to go and do what he needed to do, just like anybody would in their job. But I found someone to teach my class, and I went, and I remember her saying, you're, you're going? And I said, Yeah. This is your senior year. I'm going to be at that game. And it meant so much to her um, to, for that decision to be made. So I think that there's times when those decisions, when they can be, we need to put our kids first in those kind of ways. And there are those unexpected things that, or how should I say that, <laughs> those things that are expected uh, that they are not voiced. And so I think that kind of, she kind of felt that way about that, but she was thrilled that I went, and so it was an act of love where I never thought it was that big of a deal in that she would feel that way so strongly about it, but she really did. Did any of our PKs here with us today ever experience something like that, like Vicki just talked about, where you were surprised that maybe your your parent um, went to something or did something with you that you didn't expect because you thought that the church would come first? You know, I think I can frame that in a different way. And I can say, I feel as if I got some special experiences within the church because of where my father was standing. Um, and I can specifically remember going on pastoral care visits. I've been going on pastoral care visits since I was very, very young. And, um, you know, when I was younger, there was a little bit of really, I have to go visit that old person again. But now looking back on my childhood, it's some of the richest and best times that I got to sit with those people and I got loved on and doted on by those extended grandparents and got the special fudge and got to play with the special toy and really got a rich and vibrant heritage of my faith because I had the opportunity to sit with people and live life with them in a way that not a lot of people do. And I think that was very formational for me and the way that I view relationships and the way that I view my own faith. And that was, um, it was always very nice for me that I got to do that 
And um, yeah, I really appreciated that. That's some great insights, Joy. Um, you know, e even for me as a pastor, I, I'm still learning some things. I think that Matthew mentioned something earlier. Um, I think it may have been in the previous episode that, that there, there's nothing necessarily that we haven't talked about now, uh, but maybe growing up we hadn't uh, talked about certain things. But I think it's kind of surprising even today for me to hear some of the insights that what was it like as a pastor's kid growing up? Um, maybe maybe we heard the the specifics like this is the situation, but maybe we didn't understand the why or what was being felt as a pastor. And uh, I, I just love this topic. And right now we do need to take a quick break for our sponsors. So we'll do that. And we'll be right back with the second half of today's episode of Reconciling Grace. And we're back with Reconciling Grace. We're talking to a panel that consists of at least half preacher's kids talking about preacher's kids. And we were talking a little bit about expectations. And sometimes expectations don't just fall on preacher's kids. I remember one situation where I was the pastor of a church. I was fairly new pastor there, and it had been a long day. I think we had Sunday morning service, Sunday evening service, and after the end of the Sunday evening service, somebody started talking to me, and as I sat, as I was walking through the sanctuary, this other person was talking to me, and they kind of just stopped and stood there, and I just kind of sat down. Heaven forbid it was on the altar. You would think that I had just committed the unpardonable sin of sitting down on the altar. And from that point on, I honestly think that for the rest of my years there, I think that that may have been the, the starting point of some oil and water between me and that person um, because I made the mistake of sitting on the altar because I was very tired. Um, it makes me wonder if if any kind of expectations like that led to any kinds of uh, memories that any of our preacher's kids have that happened to them. Uh, I actually have a, a memory that's not too dissimilar from that uh, at the same church. And it was about, I think, maybe three years or so, uh, four years, I'd say, because I was, I was just over 18 because I started working in a, a shop that made uh, countertops. And it was a, a pretty physical job. It involved a lot of you know, lifting and manual labor. And it was, I think, the very first week of this job, and I was having to wake up at, you know, about five o'clock in the morning to get there. And it also happened to be the week of vacation Bible school. So I went straight from this new manual labor job in a shop with no air conditioning and drove to the church. And I got there probably about an hour and a half before vacation Bible school was supposed to start. And I was tired. I was hot. So uh, I laid down on the floor in the sanctuary with my face over the air conditioning vent and I fell asleep. <laughs> and uh, close to time for vacation Bible school, somebody from the church walked in to get ready for vacation Bible school. And they saw me asleep on the sanctuary floor, not even in a main aisle, over on you know the side close to a wall. Uh, but that was just a big deal and it was unacceptable and it did not matter that I had been up for the last 14 hours and I'd been doing, you know, 10 of that was manual labor work. Uh, I was sleeping in the sanctuary and that was just an unforgivable thing. 
And how did that make you feel, son? <laughs> you know, I've had times where I felt better. <laughs> so, Don, you have ever have anybody sleep while you're preaching in the sanctuary? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, don't I think, didn't even I don't have think to Matt answer that the, question. I don't think Matt was the first time, one that ever slept in the sanctuary. <laughs> That actually uh, ties in pretty well with a story from my childhood. <laughs> what was that, Sarah? Um, getting caught sleeping in the sanctuary, except for mine was during a sermon. <laughs> and when I was a teenager, I had a terrible habit of staying up well past when I should have. And I was very busy with school and after school activities, and I just wasn't getting much sleep. So my youth group of four people would sit in the very front row and would all, you know, sit up there and try and listen to the sermons. And my dad is a really engaging speaker. He does good sermons, but I could not stay awake. It was a continual problem. And I didn't just like fall asleep. I would jerk in my sleep. So I would like head down to my chest and then my head would throw back all the way back. And then it would like, I'd jolt, jolt myself awake. And um, it got to the point where he called me out in the middle of service in front of everybody. And he's like, Sarah, could you try to stay awake? And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. And then uh, after the service, he came over to me and he's like, I've got to ask you to not sit in the front row anymore. You're too much of a distraction to the rest of the church and you have to go sit in the back. <laughs> so, it was uh, pretty embarrassing. <laughs> hey Pete, I'd like to share something about uh... This was a tribute to my my dad and my mother and their dedication uh, to family. Uh, when I was born, I had an extra muscle in my lip and uh, I had to have surgery, but mom and dad couldn't afford it. They were paid very little as a, a pastor's family. And uh, my dad took the initiative in the evening to work part-time at a hardware store in order to earn money to pay for my my surgery on my lip. And when the when the church found out that dad was working part-time at a hardware store to earn the money to repair my lip and my uh, nose area, they, they were livid and they met and their response to what dad did for me was to cut his salary in half. And so I want to just say to God, thank you for my family and their priorities and their love for me uh, from the very start of my life as a, as a little infant. Amen. Yeah. There are a lot of things that um, a lot of families a lot of parents do for their kids whether whether the parents are in clergy jobs or not and i think a lot of us are very very thankful for the things that our parents did for us when we were when we were children even if we didn't appreciate them then and even if they're not maybe the same way that we would have raised our own children um sometimes that's the case but i know that my parents uh always loved me I didn't always get along with them. Even as an adult, I didn't always get along with them. We had a lot of differences in, in styles and stuff, but um, I know they loved me, and I know they sacrificed for me. Um, but, Mick, I know that, that must have been tough on you as well because you probably 
felt somewhat guilty or were you too young to actually know about that at that time? Well, I was uh, too young being just an infant, but it stayed with me. And, and uh, I'm just thankful for the parents uh, God gave me. We moved so many times that we became a very cohesive family. We didn't grow up around either side of the family. And so we were each other's uh, prayerful support. And that, uh, that cohesiveness and unity uh, was sustained clear, well to the present with my sister and myself and until my parents passed away. And, and I thank God for that. That's a wonderful experience of being a preacher's kid. Mm-hmm. As, I, as I experienced it. I, I, I think, you know, when you think about grace-filled moments, um, my middle child has always been late to everything. Joy is my witness. Say yes, Joy, you're on radio. Yes. There you go. She was bobbing her head up and down, people. And, and uh, so he's joining church. And... Uh, I start reading the liturgy for joining church and I don't have my middle child yet. So I get to the point, he's 15 minutes late. He just saunters down the aisle as, and you know, the center aisle gets in the pew, finally asks all the questions. And the church was like, because of all that time they've spent with him and watched him growing up, they're extremely grace-filled with my middle child. Um, and it was just funny. They all just started to laugh going, well, Ian's going to be late to his own funeral. At least he joined church. We got her done. So. <laughs> no, and I was going to add to that with um, my delightful middle brother, Ian, as well, and my youngest brother, Thomas. I agree with Mick. I think we're extremely close because we had a lot of bonding experience and lived a lot of life together. And it was to the point where my brother and I could look at each other and make noises and understand exactly what the other person is thinking. Like we could literally like make it, taking noises at each other and have a full conversation. And it was really funny because we did that around other pastors kids while back and they're looking at us like, are you guys okay? And we're like, you don't do this? And they're like, no. So I, I think it must be us age before cell phones. We had nothing better to do than to entertain each other at boring adult parties than make noises at each other. And it worked. That sounds funny. I like that. Uh, you know, before we, we get too far uh, to the end of the episode today. I know that there was one thing that I've been wanting to have Sarah share about what, uh, something I guess happened to you quite often from what you said uh, during church services, Sarah. You remember what I'm talking about, don't you? Yes, uh, being used as a sermon example. <laughs> was it always that a, happened. Was it always a good example or, or, or do you not want to say? <laughs> <laughs> I, it, it wasn't usually bad. Um, the, the more embarrassing ones usually happen with my brother. Uh, he got the brunt of those. <laughs> yeah. I know that uh, I, I'm sure I used my kids as sermon illustrations too, but one of the things that I did, and I think you you shared with me as well, that usually, um, unless it was just an offhand remark and it was nothing that was major, um, your dad and I also would usually uh, let you know about it or ask you if it was okay or something like that. I think I did that with my kids for the most part. I think your dad did that too, didn't he? Uh, no, not. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, he uh, he didn't usually talk with us ahead of time unless he thought it was something that we might be sensitive about. Like, okay. I, uh, it didn't happen frequently that he brought up things that were sensitive. 
So most times he didn't talk with us ahead of time, but if he thought it was something that we might be embarrassed about, he did check with us ahead of time for that kind of stuff. All right, that's kind of what I was thinking about because I'm, I'm sure I yes. said things about my own children that weren't necessarily um, sensitive. You know, my, I may have just said, oh, you know, Matthew did this today or Maria did that or Chris did that. So um, I just wanted you to share with that. You know, we're getting down to um, just a few minutes left in this episode today, and uh, I don't want to stop without asking our PKs today if they could share each quickly um, maybe one bit of blessing that you've had from being a preacher's kid. Uh, maybe we'll start with Matthew. You're, you're the one we heard from longest ago of the three. Uh, what kind of blessing would you say uh, it has been for you to be a preacher's kid? I think there's been uh, a little bit of almost respect at times from not only my peers, but also from uh, people who were older than me. It was kind of uh, assumed even by adults in the church that you know, I knew things about the Bible just because I was a pastor's kid. <laughs> uh, years of Bible quizzing and um, you know going to Christian school, that certainly helped. But uh, I don't know too many other you know, 15, 16 year olds who were asked to fill in to teach adult Sunday school classes, for instance, and not asked by you, asked by you know, the Sunday school teacher who was going to be gone uh, to, to fill in and teach those. So uh, I always thought that was, that was kind of cool with all the struggles that came from being a pastor's kid. I, I did like being, being viewed as a little bit of an equal and not always just, you know, looked down upon because I was a kid. Cool. I like that. Um, Sarah, did you have any uh, specific blessings you wanted to share? I think it's something I kind of addressed some in our previous episode, but um, for me, the biggest blessing out of being a pastor's kid was really just the um, the secondary family I almost gained because of the amount of time I spent around these people of the church. Um, I was there beforehand and afterwards and all the setup and every extracurricular thing that my church did, I was there. And we really built a strong and friendly relationship with these people and getting involved in their lives and um, just getting to do all the things that I did. I got involved with uh, singing on the worship team and discovered that I love singing. It was something that really developed from that. And I wouldn't have gotten involved, I don't think, in my previous church just because it was such a large church. I didn't have those opportunities. But once I was the pastor's kid, I was just always around and people taught me things and bonded with me. It was just, it was wonderful. And I saved Joy for last specifically because I know she wrote something that uh, is going into a book or is in a book that you have just written. Um, Joy, I would like you to share that if you don't mind. If you happen to have it in front of you, it would be great. No, and I'd be happy to share. Yeah, it's an ongoing project to hopefully write a blog about being a pastor's kid. Um, and what I wrote, I was talking about the idea that people come in and out of our house whenever they would feel like. Um, and what I said was, do I regret being raised with an open door for all people. I absolutely do not. My childhood was a front seat to the redeeming power of God and the lost being found. My best friend still looks to my father as her own father and seeks out her guidance. I have seen people who feel as if they have no place in this world find their place around my dinner table and watch as their lives transformed and changed. I have some people come in very close to a mental breakdown and leave with the peace that only God can give. It is a blessing and an honor to share my childhood home with so many people, but I feel I can only be so gracious about this because there were times where I was the priority. Make sure that the door is always open for the pastor's kid and not just the sheep on the outside. 
What a wonderful way to kind of end this today. And Don, if that doesn't make you proud, I don't think anything will. So we are just about running out of time. And I just want to thank every one of you who is here. Vicki Cundiff here in the studio, Mick Wells remotely, Pastor Don McDonald remotely, and our preacher's kids. We have Joy Lyle, the daughter of Pastor Don. We have Matt Vecchi, my son. Sarah Vecchi, my daughter-in-law, whose dad also is a preacher. I want to thank everybody for joining us today, and I hope that this has been as much of a blessing for you as it has been for me. So thank you. May God bless you. We'll see you next time. This has been Reconciling Grace. If you have a comment or a question for our panel, or if you would like to invite one or more of our panelists to share with your church or group, please send an email to rg at faithandfriendsradio.com. And thank you for listening to Reconciling Grace. Reconciling Grace.